Good morning. If you would, uh, I'm going to read the scripture this morning. It's Colossians 2, verse 16 through uh, 23. So if you would turn there. Jordan asked me to mention a few things about community groups, too. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't have anything to add um, to that video. Um, Jason and Allison uh, did a wonderful job. Um, I don't have to belabor the point that life can be tough and raising kids is hard and marriage is hard and and um, a lot of, of life is hard. And, you know, some of you have close friends that you can be real and honest with, but most of you don't. And our relationships are you know, mostly built around who won the game last night and are pretty superficial at best. And in a community group like what Jason and Allison was saying is um, there's just something refreshing and risky and annoying sometimes about being in a small group of people who are invested in your life and love you and that you can be real and honest with because that that does not happen in our world, and it's it's different. It's it's scary, um, but there is something refreshing and sanctifying about being in a group of people that you can actually be honest about your own life with. So, if uh, that's missing in your life, and that's a big piece in the sanctification of our own Christian growth, is being honest with other men and, and women about who we who we really are and what we need help with and prayer with, and having that support. If that's missing. Um, my wife and I will be in the back out by the little poster board of community groups. Um, just come and talk to us if you want to sign up for a group. We've got at least two groups that um, are open for new members, probably more. And uh, you can also talk to Aaron and Jacob Blue or Jordan. And, uh, and we'd, be la- we'd be glad to point you in the right direction to a community group that's going to love you and, and support you. So let's read the scripture. Colossians 2, we'll start in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, Do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All right, we'll keep it open. We're going to dive into that today, and uh, we're continuing in this this, uh, this incredible book from Colossians. And it's important to remember as we as we get into this that this is not separate, uh, you know, from the the other passages that we've looked at in this book. In fact, this is such a a rich and and just packed book. Uh, Colossians is a short book, 
Um, but it is, is so jam-packed of, of just incredible truth and doctrine. It, it's sort of hard to separate, to be honest, and, and Derek mentioned that last week because he was doing a great job walking us through baptism and union with Christ that, that verses seven and eight really uh, begin to tease out, begin to introduce what's gonna be t- uh, you know, fleshed out much more in, in these passages and even in the coming passages. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna look at um, a furtherance of what we're going to introduce today and even what was uh, teased last week. And so uh, this is a letter. This is a letter written to a group of people, to a church. Um, Colossians, that refers to a, a group of people. Uh, they were the church that was gathered at, in the city called Colossae. And, and Paul is a, is a local um, he, he, he is a guy who's planted a local church in a nearby town, and he is, uh, has apostolic authority. The Lord sent him. Jesus personally sent him to plant churches and, and preach the gospel to the Gentile nations, which is, not, which is the, the non-Jewish people, right? So the Jewish people had been God's people for years. They were awaiting this Messiah. Some of them accepted and followed him. Some didn't. But when Jesus came, uh, that whole Jew-Gentile divide was gone. It was a message for all to be saved. And so Paul was sent to, to preach and to plant churches amongst the Gentiles. And so he is in jail now in Rome um, on house arrest likely. And, um, and he is visited by one of the pastors from the church of Colossae, and he's sort of unloading on him. Um, it, it seems some of the challenges that they're going through, this is a church that's doing pretty well. These are faithful people that have gone all in with Jesus. But uh, there's some challenges. And so Paul is writing this letter uh, to them to help them. So it's important to keep that in mind. This is, this is one uh, letter with, one, with, a, with a particular message. And we're, so we're going to focus on different parts, and, but it, we can't take it out and separate it from the rest of it. So even as, as Derek preached um, verses uh, 6 through 15 last week, uh, this is a continuation of that. And verse 6 says, um, as you received Jesus, so walk in him. And so Paul is talking about very practical, like, this is how you walk in him. This, Colossians has a lot of theological and, and big words and beautiful doctrinal passages, but this is getting down to, okay, how do you actually walk this faith out? These are, these are fairly new Christians, right? Trying to figure out how do we follow Jesus? And so uh, this, is, this is practical. Uh, what, what does that look like? But it, when it comes to what does that look like to follow Jesus, some of the things you also have to know is what not to do, right? Sometimes we think about, okay, what do I need to do? Well, there's a few things you need to you know, be aware not to do. And so Paul is going to give us a warning about three particular things today, a warning against legalism, a warning against mysticism, and a warning against asceticism, okay? And so a couple of those might be new to you. We'll, we'll get into them. But there is a temptation for us and for these Colossian people to want to add to our faith. Meaning, and, and here, the beauty of the gospel is grace, and if you don't know what grace is, that means we are receiving something that we didn't earn, right? We are, we are receiving salvation that we did not and, in fact, could not ever earn. And there is scandal in that. I was talking to, uh, you know, some people the other day, and it's like, can, can it be that the same person who has committed the horrendous crimes of, like, you know, child molestation and, and, and murder even is, is forgiven in the same way. If they, if they truly repent and confess Jesus, they're, they're forgiven and receive the same salvation that you and I do. And, and, and the answer is, yeah, if they truly repent and receive Jesus, then yeah. And that is scandalous, isn't it? That's scandalous. And the gospel is indeed scandalous. And it is offensive. Why? Because we want to have something to do with it, don't we? Like, we want to, we like, participate a little bit. Like, give me the list. Like, okay, thanks for that salvation, but, like, what can I do now? Like, that's a temptation and a draw that's in all of us. 
And so Paul is going to address some particulars of that in this passage. And so as, as we get into verse 16, he says, let no one, therefore, right? And, and that, that ties us back to that, that previous passage that Derek walked us through last week, which, is, which unpacks the gospel and in a beautiful way, talks about baptism, talks about the work Jesus did of crushing our enemies on the cross. It's a beautiful passage. If you missed last week's sermon, I encourage you to check it out. Um, and because again, this is all tied together. But he says, therefore, because of that, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. And so this is a warning against legalism. Okay, and, and when he says, let no one pass judgment on you, what he's talking about there is, is this is a new church, right? They're, they are receiving, the, uh, you gotta imagine, this is first generation Christians. First generation of hearing about this resurrected Nazarite guy named Jesus, right? This is incredible to think that that's, that, like, there's not churches to reflect on. There's not legacies at this point of, of people that have walked in faith. There's not great paradigms of what it means to be a Christian. This is first-generation Christians. So they are, they're following Jesus. They're figuring it out, and, and they're, they're looking to Paul and other apostles to, to help. These, these books that we now hold as our Bible are being written actively in the moment and, and distributed out and read throughout the regions. It's, a, it's an incredible moment in history. And at the same time that those things are happening, there's also people coming in and distorting and misusing and leading people astray. Okay, so what it seems to be happening is that there's the Colossian church who are all in for Jesus, but then they're having some visitors come in. And these visitors are starting to ask questions, like, well, and, and they're starting to say, well, don't you observe these rituals? Well, oh, you guys are Christians? Well, I don't see you doing this. I didn't see you at the, at, the, at the new moon festival. I didn't see you at this ritual, right? And so they start to make these new Christians feel bad. Have you ever been in that situation where somebody, you, you've been following Jesus, right? And, then, and, and you're, you're maybe excited about your faith, maybe early on, right? And somebody says, well, what about this? I, I saw you with a, with a beer. I thought you were following Jesus. Or I, I did this, I thought you were following Jesus. You ever had a situation like that where they sort of shame you? They make you feel like you're a less than Christian because you're not following their rules, right? This is, this is what Paul is talking about. So he says, let no one pass judgment on you in term, now, that whole judgment thing, we gotta, we gotta be careful because the world wants to take that and run with that and say, see, I can do whatever I want, you can't judge me. No, 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 that's not what Paul's saying here. So there's a specific thing he's talking about not letting you pass judgment on, right? And, and that is in questions of food or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Okay, so this is a warning against legalism. If you don't know what legalism is, it can uh, be defined. I, I, I took this from Piper, John Piper. Um, simply the conviction that law keeping is the ground for our acceptance with God. Okay, so what, what it means is how I'm going to feel accepted by God is by keeping some rules, okay? That, that's legalism, and so we start, to, we start to put rules where God hasn't put rules. If you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and um, those, those walk through the life of Jesus when he was on earth, and his biggest enemy, the ones that he had the most conversations and confrontations with was a group called the Pharisees, and the Pharisees loved rules. Like, like they got real geeked up about rules, lots and lots and lots of rules, how many of you are prone to really like rules? You, make, you feel safe when you have rules. You feel safe when there's very clear expectations. And you get real nervous when people don't follow the rules. How many of you are like that? 
That's okay. Like there's a, there's a proclivity there, right? That, that's, that's, that's okay. But, but what, what happens when we get into legalism, where it goes wrong is when we start putting rules where God, we, we start putting lines and drawing lines where God hasn't put lines. And, and what's most important is we started putting them on other people. So here's, here's, here's what I would say. So there, you've been around legalistic people. You yourself, I was a legalistic person. My wife will tell you, she's not in here. I think she's wrestling a kiddo right now, but she will tell you when we first started dating, I used to make her feel bad about listening to country music. Not because of the quality of the music. That's a whole other conversation, but, but because I, I thought we were supposed to listen to all Christian music, right? So as a 22, 20, yeah, 21, 22 year old arrogant punk, like I would guilt her for that. And she was like, wow, I don't think it's sinful, right? So that, I was a legalist about that and a, and a few other things, right? And you've been around them. And, and so there are, there are whole churches formed around their own legalisms, right? There are, there are churches who say you can't not drink at all. There are churches who say you cannot dance at all. I told you this before. The church we got married in said we could have three dances. I, I don't know why they drew the line at three. But they did. Fourth one, that's when things are going to get wild, right? And you know why Baptists are scared of dancing. Right? Never mind, I can't. That's a bad joke. Kids are still in here. But, but you, you know, there, there's a... Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> but there, there is a, a, a proclivity there. Why? And, and here's the heart of it. You need to understand the heart of even the Pharisees was that they didn't want to sin. And they didn't want people to sin. So you need to understand, we can mock and make fun of the legalists, but we need to understand that the legalists in all of us starts by not wanting to sin. You, you get that, right? Like that, That's the idea. Is that God has put the line here. Well, I, man, I struggle with that. So I don't, I don't even want to get close to that. Line. So I'm going to go ahead and put my line here. And sometimes that's okay for us. Right? Sometimes that's okay for us personally. Like, so that may be your issue. You may, you may struggle. With, well, I'll just tell you my issue. So for years I was entangled with pornography and, um, and just addicted to it. So for me, sensual images... I can't do that, right? Even images of pe like women, like just, I can't do like swimsuit, like that kind of stuff, no, it's not a, that's not okay for me, okay? Now, the line is don't be lustful, right? That's the line. God, that's God's line. That's for everybody. But for me, I know that I can't toy with that line. So there's some things that may not be over that line, but for me, they will send me over that line. Does that make sense? So I got to draw my line back here. So what that looks like for me, it's a personal conviction, personal legalism for myself. I don't have uh, the social media. I don't have Instagram. I have a little bit of access to Facebook, but it's filtered and not through the app. And so I get alert. Like it, so it's, it's filtered and limited. Uh, TikTok, stuff like that. Like that's not gonna, that's not good for me. So now, is it inherently sinful? No. Could I make the case that it's not helpful? I could. Right? That's another conversation. But the line is lust. For me, I got to draw it back here. That's okay. Right? Others of you, you might struggle with drinking. Right? Like for you, you don't just have a drink. You go until you are drunk and you are passed out. Like It goes badly for you when you have a drink. So for you, you're not going to have a glass of wine with dinner because it's not going to end there. Right? For you, you might not go to social gatherings where other people are drinking. Right? So the line is here. Don't get drunk. And that's God's line. All right? It's God's line. And it's a good line. And, and we need to say this real quick. Uh, I think it's one of the Psalms that says, the, the boundaries have fallen for us in pleasant places. 
What that means is God's laws are for our good. Okay, church, you need to know that. God's a good father, and when he gives rules, he's never trying to steal from you. God gets no pleasure out of taking your fun away. Right? What's he trying to do? He's trying to lead us to life. Any laws that he gives, he's trying to lead us to life. We have a tendency, our enemy, we have a tendency to believe that he just wants to steal from us, and our enemy is more than glad to oblige that. It happens in the garden. God says, hey, you can eat from every tree that I've made here, and it's awesome. This is an amazing place, the garden. Every one of these trees, go enjoy it. Hey, but there's one, don't eat. It, w- it will kill you. It will kill you. Don't eat of that one. All these others, go for it. What Satan do? He comes along and says, hey, God really say you can't eat of the fruit of these trees? That's not what God said, is it? But see how he twists it? Makes you feel like you're missing out? No, no. Adam Eve said, no, no, just that one. Oh, that one. Yeah, that's the real good one. That's the real good one. He knows if you eat of that one, you'll be like him. He doesn't want that. He's holding out on you, right? That's a lie. That's the lie from in the enemy that he, that he lays on all of us. He, he got no new tricks, right? He just, he just turns them out in different ways, whatever's appealing for you, right? So that's the same. So that, the boundaries have fallen for us in pleasant places. So the line is don't get drunk, right? You might know, hey, I can't get this close to that line. I can't have a drink without going over the line. So for me, my line's going to be back here. Is that okay? Yeah, right? Is that okay? For sure. That's, that's good and okay and probably wise for you, right? And if you're not sure where those lines are, go back to the community. Let's have some conversations with our friends and people that know us. Let's establish those together. Now, here becomes the problem. When I take my line about lust, or you take your line about alcohol, and I say, hey, that's everybody's line. That's when we get a problem with legalism, right? When I say, hey, um, lust, you know, lust is bad, so therefore Instagram's bad, therefore TikTok's bad, therefore this channel is bad, therefore the whole internet's bad. Better unplug that nasty mess, right? And, and now you're on it, oh, you must be a, like, and we start condemning, we start shaming anybody who lives differently than us, right? Have you been around those people? All right, right. We say, well, the line is, you know, drunk, my line's back here, I can't even have a drink. So now we start condemning people who do have a drink. There's no way, I thought they were Christians, I saw them out having a glass of wine. Right, you've seen this, right? Back to the dancing thing. Is some dancing sinful? Yeah, probably, right? Probably. Is all dancing? No. Read the Bible. There's a lot of it in there. It's joy, right? And so when we take this, we take good things and, you know, we misuse them, we draw a line. So here, here, here's, here's where we stay. God's rules are for everyone. Your rules are for you. Okay? God's rules, they're for everybody. Universe, like, your rules, they're for you. So, but this legalism thing, we don't want to write it off too quickly because it begins with a desire not to sin. But the reason it's dangerous is that it actually leads us to just a different sin. You realize that, right? That if, if I just make my own legalism and I'm going to base my righteousness off of my personal legalisms, guess what? I'm going to become self-righteous. I'm going to become really proud. Man, all those people out there drinking. I haven't had a drink in 16 years. All those people out there watching that mess online. I don't even have the internet. All we do is read books at my house, right? Like we, we have these, these postures of self-righteousness and pride that comes out that it's not, we're not getting away from sin. We're just running to a different sin. That's the danger of legalism. So God's rules are for everybody. 
Your rules are for you. You start laying your rules on everybody, now we have a problem with legalism, right? Now we're, now we're shaming. It's important to keep our nose in the scripture so that we know the difference. All right, let's keep going. And, well, let's, let's talk quickly. I didn't, I didn't finish it all. So in verse 17, he says, these are but a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what he's saying is they're pointing back to Old Testament festivals and laws and saying, hey, God did it. Like, we need to earn God's favor. We need to make sure that we are, we are accepted by God by doing these things. And, and he says, listen, those are, those are just a shadow of the things that were to come. And Jesus is the substance, right? Like, a shadow is a shadow, and maybe it can help you know where a thing is, right? You see a shadow coming. You're like, oh, that I can look up now to the substance. But nobody, like, has a picture of the shadow of the people they love on their desk, right? Like, that'd be weird, Shadow is a shadow, like you, what you want is the substance, right? And Christ is the substance. So, so these things may have some value in pointing you to Jesus. And there may even be freedom for you to execute on those festivals and on those things, right? They may be good. They may stir your heart to worship by observing these particular festivals and these particular things, right? They may stir your heart to worship, and that's good and right, but when you start to say, well, I'm righteous because I do this, and these people are not righteous because they don't do this, now we're in self-righteousness and pride. Does that make sense? So you're not, you, you think you're saving yourself from one sin. Meanwhile, you're just scooting closer to another. The only safe place is toward the cross, right? You see the sin over here. You start trying to get away from it. And really, you, what you realize is you've just ran into another one. That's where legalism gets you. All right. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. So he first says, let no one pass judgment or bring shame. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism, and we'll come back to that, and worship of angels going on in details about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So this is a warning against mysticism. This is a warning against mysticism. And most of you guys probably wouldn't have put mysticism as the top two or three of your temptations that you struggle with, right? It's not a word we use a lot. It's not a concept. It's not a lot. Like most of you are like, oh, man, I'm just really drawn to mysticism. You know, can you guys pray for me? I'm really struggling. <laughs> thinking, about, thinking about indulging in some mysticism tonight. You're like, what? <laughs> right? What? But what he's talking about here, if you look a little closer, it, 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 mysticism is, my definition, is just kind of an obsession with spiritual experiences. Right? It becomes this obsession with a spiritual experiences. And so even within the church, we can have the, these different sects and people and groups that, that, that are fascinated with chasing experiences. We talked about this when we walked through 1 Corinthians. And a lot of churches are divided about the spiritual gifts because some have misused them as a way to say we are better than the rest. We're on the varsity team right? Because we speak in tongues or we do this, right? We have the, and the rest of you, right? You little JV, maybe you'll get there someday, right? And so there's whole churches and denominations that are divided over what it means to be a follower of Christ and whether you're supposed to have these, these spiritual experiences or not, right? And so these people are coming in and saying, whoa, 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 like, okay, great. You guys are following Jesus. Have you, have you, have you had any visions yet? Have, have you had any experiences of speaking in tongues yet? Have you, have you prophesied yet? You see how that starts to feel shame? Well, no, I didn't know I was supposed to, right? They start reading, you know, they start reading scriptures to you. Well, of course, you know, it's a sign of being a mature. And you start to feel, and you start to chase that. You start to obsess over that. Paul says, don't be disqualified 
by insisting on that and the, the worship of angels, right? So again, we have to be careful not to condemn too quickly because the draw toward this error also comes out of a good place, right? The mystic, they, they actually, they, they didn't just start out to be sinful. They started out wanting to be close to God, right? They wanted to experience God. They wanted to experience closeness with God. So they began to seek these sorts of experiences. Maybe it began at a conference. Maybe it began at a prayer meeting, right? They had a particularly powerful experience, and so they just seek after recreating that. Have you ever, you ever had that mountaintop experience? And man, it was just amazing, and, and so you just hope that church is that every time, right? We've had people leave our church because, uh, you know, they, they, the worship wasn't powerful enough, right? They wanted to go to a place where it was sort of this emotional and, and you know, I don't know, experience every time. Now, does that mean that mean I don't want the spirit to fall? Does that mean I don't want us to be moved and just wrecked by God's spirit? No, man, may that happen today, right? But when, when we seek that as primary, we're gonna get away from what Paul calls the head, right? So that the appeal is I wanna be closer to God, but the danger of mysticism is that we chase experiences and not Jesus, the appeal is, I want to be close to God. The danger is we chase experiences and not Jesus. I heard one pastor say, we shouldn't chase after signs and wonders, but as the people of God, as we chase after Jesus, signs and wonders will follow us. Okay, so we don't chase after signs and wonders as our primary objective, but when, as we follow Jesus, as the people of God, signs and wonders will follow us. Does that make sense? And you got to have that in the correct order. When you, when you get that out of order, you begin to have this, this thing that could be a good thing, right? Or it could be, you also run a danger of syncretism in this situation, right? Syncretism is when you're taking other worldly philosophies and you start to blend them with Christianity, right? You start to, you start to bring them together and, and, and you sort of, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm also really into this new age movement. Or yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm also really into this or that. And we'll talk about some of those specifics in, in a little bit, but, but that's the danger, right? It, um, and so you, you run the risk of your religion, your spiritual practice, not looking anything like Christianity anymore because you're just chasing experiences. Paul says, don't let anybody disqualify you by getting you distracted with that, right? These people are puffed up, right? They're excited. They, 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 these are people that come in and talk about their own visions and, and they believe in additional revelation, right? That God speaks directly to them in a way that he hasn't the rest of us, or, right? That, that they're adding to scripture, right? They have this idea. They get puffed up and, and, and they're talking about angels. They're talking about how we, we get there. What this is, is experiences that, that get us closer to God, right? And, and that's part of the draw is, oh, we, we want to get, we want to have these experiences and we sort of create this this, this ladder system or this stair system of, hey, get to here and you'll be a little bit closer to God. And once you get to here, you can get to there. And you see forms of this. I mean, you read Scientology. That's a whole nother wacky mess. But, but it's the same idea of, hey, you get closer and closer, right, to deity. You get closer and closer to, to this deal. And, and, and that's an appeal. That's why it's appealing to us because we want to have that, that experience. We want to be closer to God. We want to, you know, we want to remember that. And there's a beautiful story. You know, you've heard of Jacob's Ladder in, in Genesis and what we need to remember about Jacob's ladder is that it wasn't a ladder coming from earth up to heaven and how Jacob ascended into to God's presence. It was a ladder coming from heaven down to earth of how God himself condescended into Jacob's presence. 
So the, the, the path toward the presence of God is not through us achieving and accomplishing and having experiences. It's through us surrendering and worshiping the one who came to us. Amen? So that's the warning against mysticism. And he says this in verse 19. What their, their issue is they're not holding fast to the head, capital H, head. That means Jesus, from whom the whole body, right? So Jesus' whole church that's you, that's me, that's all of us, that's all that his whole body is nourished and knit together through himself, through its joints and ligaments, and it grows through a growth that is from God. So what is he saying? He's, he's saying, hey, Jesus will grow you. Jesus will bring you closer to himself, but you don't need to go out and get experiences to get closer to Jesus. You need to run to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus and back to Jesus. And as you do that, he will grow you with the growth that comes from God. So we seek healthy growth. We seek healthy experiences maybe with Jesus, but we're seeking Jesus, not the experience. And he will grow us as a result, it says in verse 19. And then the warning against asceticism in verse 20. If Christ, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of this world, this is where it references back to verse 7 and 8 that, that Derek taught us last week. Um, the, these human traditions, these elemental, these spirits of the world. Here, here's the deal. Here's what he's talking about here. Even without Christianity, without the truth of the gospel, the world is a religious place. Everybody will worship something. Everybody has a draw to worship and be religious in some way. Okay? They're going to by default do that. So they're going to come up with their own stuff. And listen, Satan is glad to oblige. He is glad to oblige that. That's God's enemy. And he knows, Satan knows that, that God, the mark of God's faith, the mark of God's salvation is grace. Which is what? Something we don't deserve, which leads to what? Us being humbled, right? So if Satan can sneak in there and, and give us a religion that satisfies or, or presents as though it will satisfy, but keeps us from God, he's more than happy to do that. You see, Satan's not all about the witchcraft and the weird stuff. I mean, he's glad to do that too. But his primary objective is actually just to get the people of God distracted and away from God. So if he can provide a religion and some spiritual practices that keep us from, from the gospel of Jesus, he's glad to do that. And what he'll often do is because the gospel is scandalous and it is one of grace, he'll, he'll throw out something there that feels a little more realistic, something we can earn, right? Do these laws, do these rules, and then you can be approved before God, right? And so that, the world just does that by default. It's going to create these traditions, these ideas, these teachings. We see it today. We'll talk about them specifically in just a moment. But he says, hey, if you've already died to the spirits of this world, then why are you still living like you are still alive to them? Why, if you've died to that way of life, if you've died to finding your identity, your purpose, your hope in being this or being that, then why are you still living in submission to them? And, and these are issues, this, this uh, idea of asceticism is, is simply defined um, <clears throat> somewhere in my notes, but it's basically a, a denial of something that is uh, good and often necessary to life, like food, water, right? Um, or, or just other comforts and pleasures. It's a denial of those things in order to be closer to God. 
right? So, so that's the, <clears throat> it, it may be defined as a voluntary abstention, <clears throat> abstention from, or for philosophical or religious reasons from physical goods that are central to the well-being of humankind. Most agree that ascetic abstention aims at rendering the practitioner morally acceptable before the divine. So what, what does all that mean? It means there's this idea that, hey, if I deny myself this stuff, I'm actually getting closer to God. It's, it's, it's growing by subtraction. The less I can deny, like, like the less I can intake of this, this worldly stuff, the more holy and righteous I am, and therefore the more approved I am before God, right? That's this idea of asceticism. And so hey, Paul says, hey, there's all these rules in this idea. Verse 21, it says, well, it says, hey, don't handle this. Don't touch that. Don't taste that, right? Referring to all these different things that are physical. But Paul says they actually perish as you uh, use them according to human precepts and teachings. Paul says, don't, don't live as though you're in subjection to that. Now, Paul is all for discipline and spiritual discipline, right? We, we see Paul is all for beating the body into submission so that we can pursue Jesus. But this idea that we gain his approval and we gain um, more moral standing before a holy God by denying ourselves stuff is wicked and it's from the gates of hell. Why? Because it, just like legalism, leads to pride and self-righteousness. Right? So... The, the, the appeal of this asceticism is kind of just like the mysticism. I want to be closer to God, right? Or, or maybe it's out of seeing an overindulgence. Maybe it's, a, it's an overreaction to an abuse where people are overindulging in consumption of comfort and, you know, like that sort of thing. And so we want to come over here and become the people who are minimalist and have zero footprint, you know, that sort of thing. It's this overreaction, and we think that we earn our righteousness by living this lifestyle or whatever. And Paul says, listen, that may sound good, Right? You can make the, the argument of why this is a good way to live. He says, according to human precepts and teachings, he's going to say in the next verse, they indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity, severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So there's all sorts of theories, books, ideas about how you stop being fill in the blank, right? How you stop being so terrible, right? How you stop stinking at life. Hey, do this, read this content, read this book. If you listen to this, follow this person or whatever, it's all sort, but Paul says, listen, it, it sounds good, but the reality is it has no power, no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It, don't fix, it doesn't fix sin. Right? It might fix one issue. You might stumble with this one thing. So by denying yourself of that, you might stop you know, being a glutton. But it's, it's going to have the same effect as legalism. It's going to leave you to be a self-righteous jerk. You're going you're to be led to have a condescending response to anybody who doesn't 
live the way you live. You're gonna, you're, and you're going to condemn them, saying, hey, you shouldn't handle that. You shouldn't touch that. You shouldn't eat that, right? And so it doesn't look the same, right? We're not worried about meat and idols in, in, in that day and age. But listen, it's the same sort of stuff. In fact, this is way more pervasive. It takes on a different form, but it's way more pervasive in our world right now than most of us would care to acknowledge. Right? So it's not always about asceticism and denying ourselves stuff. It's not always about legalism and mysticism. But have you heard of things like critical race theory? You heard of things like socialism or even nationalism? Right? So we, we get into these things that, that sound good. So what are those all rooted in? The world's jacked up, right? Each one of those things. And those are just a, a sampling of the things. The world's broken. What do we got to do to fix it? Well, we come up with a theory. We come up with a plan. We come up with a, with a policy. We come up with a whole party, right? This is how it'll get fixed. This is how it'll get fixed. Paul says, that sounds good. You can make sense out of it, but guess what? Has no power to actually subdue the flesh. Has no power in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Right? So, so there, there's, a, there's a good heart in these these things, but, but listen, let, let's just be honest real quick. And I, I know I'm, my, I know I'm going to be offensive. My, my hope would be to offend all of you equally, but, um, but we, we need to be honest about some of the pervading like movements in our culture because there, there is a huge number of Christians that are leaving Orthodox doctrine in the name of some progressive Christianity which in reality is not Christianity at all. And we need to be careful about that. We need to think critically about that so that we don't fall prey to that. Okay? And, and, and many of those things that are going to attempt to lead us astray, we're going to be started in, in something good. So let's just talk just quickly. I'm not going to handle these at length. I'm not going to handle them well. I just want to put them out there as an example. Critical race theory, the, the idea behind that is there's, there's injustice. There's racism that exists in the world. I have zero issues acknowledging that there is injustice and there's racism in this world. I was raised to be racist. I've told you that. I have no issues with that. So should we as Christians care about justice and race, racism? Yeah, absolutely we should. We should. Now, some of you are already offended at that but we should. But does that mean that we adopt this whole thing and we just focus on, you know, I mean, critical race theory has some really concerning places that it ends up. It is a religion in and of itself. And there are people that are leaving the faith to pursue that sort of justice and that sort of social justice and that sort of movement. And we need to be careful about that because while absolutely justice matters, it needs to be justice on God's terms and through the gospel because guess what? Even if we tear down whatever system of oppression they say is the issue in the moment, guess what? It doesn't solve sin. It ain't gonna fix what's broken. Study history. Socialism, same thing. Starts out Maybe from a good place. People shouldn't be poor, right? Let's give government authority redistribute. That can sound good on the surface, can it? Study history, it ends up with people being murdered. It, didn't go, it don't go well, right? Let, let, same thing. Most of you probably with me on that. Look at Christian nationalism. 
You look at this idea of how we need to make America back to what it should be or, or what, like, we, we can get into the same issues of, hey, this is what's wrong in the world is that people are sinning in this way, people aren't working, people are bumming, whatever. So what we need to do is we need to implement this system and this level of capital, like, and, and we can get into a place where, yeah, the, the, the issue that, that led us there is, is, is good and right, but when we focus on it, and when we make it the thing that we're now so obsessed with, now guess what? We see everything through that lens. We see everything through that lens, and now we're thinking that that, whatever that is, maybe it's my party, maybe it's this theory, maybe it's this social justice movement, is what really matters in the world, and if we could just accomplish that, the world will be better. Paul says, listen, it has no ability to stop the indulgence of the flesh. There's no ability. It won't work. It won't work. This candidate, that party, that theory won't work. All it takes is some intellectual honesty to acknowledge that, not even spirituality, right? It just won't work. Paul says, man, you are the people of King Jesus. Jesus is the one who can give you a new heart. And without that, the flesh will just keep on indulging. You may squash one thing, but it's like whack-a-mole. It's coming back up over here. You want sin to die in your life and in the world? The answer is Jesus. Now we're back. We're back to verse 6 that Derek started with last week. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. What does that mean? You received him. You celebrated that your sins were forgiven. Amen? It's awesome. My sins are forgiven. How did it happen? Jesus on the cross. Paul says, yeah, that, just walk in that. Because what we do is we go, man, my sins are forgiven. This is awesome. Right? And then we start to realize we're still struggling with sin. So now we start to try to add other, we start to go to other ways of trying to get our sin taken care of, right? We start to add this, this legalism or this mysticism or this asceticism, right? We want to add these things to keep ourselves from sinning. Paul says, no, 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 no. Just like you were saved, just stay there. Keep walking in that. Keep walking in Jesus. Keep walking in Jesus. That's the answer. That, that's how we get there. Thomas Chalmers wrote an incredible article called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. It's, it's kind of all this idea. Uh, I don't know if it was him or somebody else. I, I get, I, it's all jumbled, but there's this idea or this, this, this question that's meant to trip you up of saying, hey, if you were given all access to all the machinery and all the money in the world to find the best way to suck or to get all the air out of a beaker, how would you do it? Right? And you start thinking, well, maybe I use this machine. How do, I, how do I suck it out? How do I get, you know, how do I get it? And the answer is, you put water in it. How do you get all the air out of the beakers? You put water in it. How do you get all the sin out of you and I? Put Jesus in it. You put Jesus in us. Because we don't sin out of some obligation. We don't sin because of some rules, do we? Why do we sin? Because it feels good, doesn't it? Because it's an appeal. We believe that our life will be better if we do. We believe that it's enjoyable. That's actually what we need, right? You understand that, right? The desire to sin is actually rooted in those things, right? And so if we want to stop sinning, we can't, we're not going to accomplish that by rules and regulations and, and duty. We only accomplish that by Jesus. How do you stop sinning? You fall more in love with Jesus. Robert Murray McShane, another Puritan, said, for every one look you take at yourself and your sin, you should take 10 at Jesus. For every one look you take at yourself, look at Jesus 10 times. And in that, 
he'll give you the growth that it says in verse 19. Growth that comes from God. I'm going to end by remind, just rereading verses 13 through 15 that Derek walked us through last week and just a reminder of the gospel. He says this, and you who were dead, not just like struggling, but dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. Amen, church, together with him, alive and, and union with Jesus, having forgiven all of our trespasses, and listen to this, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You understand you were under a debt that you would never, ever, ever be able to afford. And he canceled it. He canceled it, church. He canceled it. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, church. Amen. Like he just, and it goes on to say, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. This is our Jesus. Don't you dare set him aside in pursuit of some other nonsense. Jesus, this is what he's done. Let's, let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to, to be a people that are enamored and obsessed with Jesus. Overwhelm us with the power that we've been offered and the, and the glory and the blessing that we've been offered in the gospel. Forgive us where we've had a small view of you. Forgive us where we've been drawn to other things and bring us back to a place of worship and awe and contentment at the foot of the cross where you gave your life for us, Jesus. It's in your name I ask all these things and I pray now. Amen.